Hello and welcome to Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole, and Writing the Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. On Writing the Coast, you'll hear conversations with the winners and finalists of the annual BC and Yukon Book Prizes, as well as interviews with book lovers from across the province and territory. I have two guests for this week's episode, Haley Healy and Kamiko Fraser. They are the author and illustrator of Her Courage Rises, 50 Trailblazing Women of British Columbia and the Yukon, which is a finalist for the 2023 Sheila A. Egoff Children's Literature Prize. On this episode, Haley and Kamiko talk about the challenges of working on historical books like Her Courage Rises and what they hope their book will inspire in readers. Haley starts our episode with a reading from Her Courage Rises. For my reading today, I'm going to start with the introduction from Her Courage Rises, 50 Trailblazing Women of British Columbia and the Yukon. After the introduction, I'm going to read a little bit about miner and prospector Lucille Hunter, um, writer Edith Josie, and mountaineer Phyllis Mundy. Women of British Columbia and the Yukon have always been trailblazers, but they haven't always been included in history books and stories. The pages of this book are filled with women who lived fearlessly, unapologetically, and intentionally. With color illustrations, these women's stories come to life. These women were diverse, they were daring, and they blazed their own trails in life. Much like women today, they kept going when things got tough and adapted when things changed. They were aviators, gold rushers, authors, and bounty hunters. They lived life their own ways. Some fell under the spell of the Yukon venturing north for gold, like Lucille Hunter, to work in journalism, Alice Freeman, or to seek fortune and adventure, Nellie Cashman. Others were brave pioneers who farmed, hunted, fished, and supported their families during British Columbia's early days. Some are well-known, like painter Emily Carr and performer Pauline Johnson. Others are less well-known, like Professor Rosemary Brown and Haida artist and Florence Eden Shaw Davidson. Still, others haven't yet received the credit they deserve, such as Francis Oldham Kelsey, scientist for the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. In some ways, their lives differed from those women of today. No internet, no social media, and very different rights and opportunities. But despite this, they share many similarities with women today. They celebrated life milestones. They accomplished great things and decided what direction they wanted their lives to go. They encountered setbacks, hardships, and difficulties. They faced adversity with courage, optimism, and a can-do attitude. They showed fierce determination in achieving their unique goals. In reading these women's stories, we can draw inspiration from them and even learn from the ways in which they reached their goals and coped with life's inevitable challenges. Their stories remind us that we can be our own kind of hero or heroine, that rather than letting adversity ruin us, we can use it to make ourselves stronger. And they remind us that we can leave the world a better place, making our own small difference where it matters. This collection provides a fascinating glimpse into the lives of unsung heroines of Yukon and British Columbia. The profiles are categorized by area of passion or expertise. It starts with writers, photographers, and artists, entrepreneurs, miners, and adventurers, and continues with doctors and scientists, brave pioneers and homesteaders, helpers and heroes, politicians and athletes. I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to weave this research into stories. My hope is that this book entertains, educates, and inspires. So this is about Lucille Hunter, who was a miner and prospector from near Dawson City, Yukon. 
Few women ventured to the Yukon Gold Rush of 1896, and even fewer were Black. Lucille Hunter was a Black woman who ventured to the Gold Rush by the toughest route, well pregnant. She became a successful miner and prospector, and the Yukon became her forever home. Lucille was born in Michigan. In 1897, Lucille and her husband, Charlie, took a steamship to Wrangell, Alaska, and then traveled this Stakine Rip Trail, also called the all-Canadian route to the Klondike through northern BC. This route was chosen by many because it was falsely advertised by newspapers as the shortest and easiest route. Part of the appeal was that gold seekers or stampeders didn't have to pay American duty, unlike the Chilkoot Trail or White Pass routes. The brutal journey followed the Stikine River through thick bush, narrow trails, clouds of mosquitoes, and thin ice. Many stampeders got gangrene or scurvy. Lucille and Charlie reached Teslin Lake, and Lucille had a baby girl who they named Teslin. From Teslin Lake, the family of three continued by dog sled to Dawson City and were among the earliest gold rushers to arrive in 1898. They wasted no time in staking a claim on famous Bonanza Creek. Lucille did um, the hard physical labor of prospecting next to Charlie while also raising their daughter. They staked two other claims. When Charlie died suddenly in 1939, Lucille continued working their gold claims in Dawson and silver claims near Mayo on her own. Each year, she trekked more than 200 kilometers between the two locations. After the gold rush, many gold rushers left the Yukon, but not Lucille. She stayed and continued mining and prospecting. So I'll move to Edith Josie from Old Crow, Yukon. No roads lead to Old Crow, Yukon. To get there, you must fly or arrive by riverboat. Located above the Arctic Circle in Vantuk, which in First Nation traditional territory, it was home to the remarkable Edith Josie. For 40 years, Edith's newspaper column taught Canada about Old Crow, the people, the happenings, and Vantuk, which culture. Eagle, Alaska was Edith's birthplace and home until she was 16. In 1940, her family moved to a Whitestone village, then to Old Crow, which had only been a permanent settlement for 20 years. Before that, Vantuk, which people were nomadic, moving with the caribou. There, Edith trapped, tanned, and sold skin, animal skins for income. Having only attended a few years of school, Edith learned to read and write from her brother. In 1963, Edith became Old Crow's correspondent for the White Horse Star. She wrote her column, Here are the News, by hand at a wooden table in her log cabin, relating stories about hunting, trapping, berry picking, fishing, frigid water, winters, summers when the sun didn't set, and people's everyday lives. Edith wrote about big changes, the switch from dog sled to snowmobile, the arrival of airplanes, the establishment of schools, health centers, and churches, and access to television and the internet. Although she didn't shy away from difficult topics, her column focused on people's kindness and commitment to family and community. And I'll finish uh, with Phyllis Monday, who was a mountaineer from Vancouver, British Columbia. Phyllis Monday is one of Vancouver's best known pioneering, mountaineering pioneers. She was born in Sri Lanka at a tea plantation where her father, an expatriate British citizen, managed a tea company. In 1901, Phyllis's family moved to Canada, first living in Manitoba and later Vancouver. There, Phyllis joined the Girl Guide, starting a 60-year involvement. Her first ascent was up Grouse Mountain. She was hooked. As a young woman, she worked as a stenographer, but she lived for her weekends, which she spent hiking any peak she could from Mount Bishop to Castle Towers. She canoed to mountains that could only be accessed by lake. This was the early 1900s when it was highly unusual for women to climb. So um, 
I hope you'll read on in the book to hear a little more about all three of these women as well as the rest of the women featured in the book. Thank you. So uh, I will start with uh, what can be the most challenging question, depending on how you feel about it. Who are you? And maybe we'll start with you, Haley. My name's Haley Healy. I'm an author of On Their Own Terms, True Stories of Trailblazing Women of Vancouver Island, A Flourishing and Free, More Stories of Trailblazing Women of Vancouver Island, Her Courage Rises, 50 Trailblazing Women of British Columbia and the Yukon, and um, two uh, books as part of the Trailblazing Canadian series called Kamiko Murakami and Lillian Bland. I also work as a high school counselor and in my free time, I love reading and exploring Vancouver Island's trails, waters, and backcountry wilderness. Thank you. And next, I, I won't say your name because maybe you'll be saying your own name. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Um, my name is Kamiko Fraser. I'm an illustrator um, from the west coast of BC. And I illustrated Her Courage Rises as well as Kamiko Murakami and Lillian Bland. Well, welcome the two of you. I'm not sure. Have you have you met in person? Once, yes, <laughs> at the book launch for her Courage Rises and Russell Books. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, because <laughs> I know it's not always a thing where the illustrator meets the writer. So uh, sometimes people meet for the first time doing the podcast, which is kind of funny. <laughs> That's really fun, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely a while. Um, we had worked together for a while before meeting at that launch. So yeah, yeah it was good. Yeah. So uh, maybe we'll start, Haley, if you could talk a little bit about where the idea for Her Courage Rises. Obviously, you've done books kind of like this before, researching uh, historical figures. Yeah, for sure. So originally, um, before On Their Own Terms, the very first book, um, that book and the whole idea to write about trailblazing women was inspired um, after a hiking trip. Uh, the hiking trip was on the Hesquiet Peninsula, um, north of Tofino, on the west coast of Vancouver Island. And at the end of the trip, we had a tour of Cougar Annie's garden. Um, and you may have heard of Cougar Annie. She, her name was Ada Annie Ray Arthur, and she was a pioneer homesteader who carved out a beautiful garden out of the rugged coastal wilderness. Um, and she had other business ventures that included a store, post office, a mail order nursery, and she also hunted cougars for bounty, hence her name. So after the tour of her garden, I was just so excited about her. And I just thought, I wonder how many people have heard of her. And I wonder how many other amazing women there are like this. And I, so I started looking and found others and was just so excited and wanted to write about them. And um, after those books, um, actually, um, the editor of Heritage House um, approached me to uh, write her courage rises and i was absolutely thrilled to and uh, thrilled to collaborate uh, with kamiko on on the project and we decided to include all of british columbia and uh the yukon as well which was really an exciting part of it because on their own terms only included vancouver island yeah and in the introduction um you mentioned that there are women uh who are often left out of historical records and other books um, so how did that impact the, the research that you did for this project? Yes, that's right. Um, and that was part of the sort of inspiration for writing about them, telling their own stories. So at times I had to, you know, look a lot harder than if it was a really well-known 
um, historical figure who was a man. Um, I had to find sometimes creative ways of, of finding the information. So talking to family members, um, doing personal interviews with different people, um, really searching the archives. And sometimes, often actually, I would find information about the woman from research sources about their husbands. So from information about their husband, I would find information about them, uh, which just even more, um, yeah, kind of solidified the reason that, yeah, I think these books are so great and why they kind of need to be, need to be, um, yeah, out there these women deserve their own stories and, and not just being kind of mentioned in someone else's story, I think. Yeah. And so obviously there's so many great people included in this book from the well-known one, ones like you mentioned, like um, Emily Carr, but did you, like, how did you decide who to include and who maybe gets included in another project down the road? Cause I imagine the selection process must've been a challenge. <laughs> Yes. So it was like, it was collaborative. Um, so, but I'll speak for myself. Um, like I really wanted to include diverse women uh, from a variety of places with different like sort of areas of expertise. Like, as I mentioned there, the book is divided by entrepreneurs, helpers and healers, miners, doctors, and scientists. So to have like a variety, um, I'm personally, especially excited about uh, people who overcame adversity like Cappy Blanchett in the book, who after the death of her husband, she took her children sailing up and down the coast. They rented their house out and, and went sailing. Um, people who persevered through difficult times, uh, like Kamiko Murakami, who was um, uh, whose family fished and farmed on Salt Spring and then were taken to internment camps in the interior of British Columbia and Alberta. Um, and then also, I'm especially interested in people who were doing really progressive things in their field for the time, like Hannah Maynard, who was a police photographer. Um, also interested in people who stood their ground when being pressured in some way, like um, Frankie Francis Kelsey. So you mentioned that it was collaborative. So Kamiko, were you involved then in, in picking out the the women, or was it was that something you did with the edit, editors at Heritage House? Yeah, I think it was a collaboration with the editors. I, I remember sort of definitely leaning towards um, people who were less known, um, people who had had less ink spilled about them and, and putting forward more people that were, yeah, that you wouldn't have known normally. But it was, I think with the Her Courage Rises, it was definitely um, more of Haley's choices. And then with the uh, two subsequent books, Kimiko Murakami and Lillian Bland, that's where we sort of started to collaborate on who we should focus on next kind of thing. Yeah. I, I had asked um, uh, Haley about the research and, and having the lack of research with some of these women. I mean, it must have been a challenge to find images and those because you're creating these visual details. So could you talk a little bit about your approach for the portraits and the illustrations for the book? For sure. Yeah. Some of them were particularly difficult to find photographs of. Um, I remember, I think it was Evelyn Penrose. There was just like one photo of her. It was super tiny. So a lot of it was like educated guessing of what her face probably looked like judging by how the shadows fall um and but i worked with a lot of different archives and because i have a background in history my degree is in visual arts and history i have a lot of experience talking to archives and asking them for things so i'm, I'm not afraid to just ask to see if they know of something that i haven't been able to find which is really they've so helpful and 
So that was a really good place to start. And then also I was able to find um, a couple of family members that I could connect with and they had photographs. Um, and for like the, some of them even had elements that were in photos, like a necklace that was in the photo. I could see the actual color because they still had the necklace. Um, and Haley got me into contact with a couple of family members as well, which was really helpful. Yeah. I remember talking to, I think it was last year, last year when I talked to Whitney Gardner, she had done um, a comic book of RBG and she said how challenging it was to do a project like that because of just those historical details that you don't necessarily like even recognize. Totally. Yeah. It's interesting. All these small things, even just like how people hold themselves beyond just in a portrait, like they'll hold themselves particularly in a portrait, but then try to explain or portray motion or, or emotion and just different ways that we carry ourselves now versus then. Yeah. So when you're doing uh, portraits like these of real people, um, what challenges do you have when you're doing those, when they're like recognizable people that, you know, family members are still alive or, or others might be uh, familiar with? What challenges do you have when you come up with those images? Yeah, I definitely try to make sure that it's showing more than just their likeness. Like I, I want it to look like the person, obviously, and I, I do find it super helpful when I can send it to family members and um, they can give me pointers, especially on um, working with color, because most of the photos that we have are in black and white. So I, it's really hard to judge um, skin tone or hair color or eye color. And so I'll do my best educated guess and then having family members being able to look at it and be like, no, she looks too uh, pale or too uh, dark or too uh, different colors. And so it's really nice to have them be able to direct me in that because I can only guess as much as I can in a black and white photograph um, and as particularly with eye colors it's really hard because sometimes blue eyes will look really really light so I'm like is it green or is it blue so it, it's quite helpful and if it's not recorded in any sort of archive or document then it's just a matter of educated guessing <laughs> yeah and those kinds of details probably are rarely uh, included in archives or documents. Yeah, I think in some censuses there are, but the censuses aren't always accurate, um, especially when it comes to name spelling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing some research myself that includes census and documents, and it's like how anyone knows what some of that writing says <laughs> is amazing. You do go a little bit blind reading it, for sure. Yeah. And you realize how people's names probably changed over time because it's just the spellings are so varied and hard to read. Absolutely. Yeah. So what has it been like for the two of you to uh, collaborate on all these books together now? Uh, I don't know, Haley, if you want to jump in here and, and then we'll pass it over to Kamiko. Yeah, um, for me, it's been a really positive uh, collaboration experience. Um, there's been good communication back and forth, um, lots of like sharing of contacts and research sources where we need to. And for me, it's been just totally magical um, to see my writing turn to just such beautiful and meaningful illustrations. Yeah, it's been a really lovely process and honestly a, a dream come true for me. I so great to work with both history and art and to work with somebody who is also really passionate about bringing forward undertold stories. Yeah. Do you have a favorite uh, woman or maybe a couple favorites from the book? Some that surprised you or inspired you in, in ways you didn't expect? 
Uh, Kamiko, if you want to go first, or if you need a minute to think about it, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) It's really hard to pick a favorite because you spend so much time learning about their lives and and looking at their images and and trying to figure out how to draw them in a way that tells their story. And uh, it is hard to pick a favorite, but I really enjoyed um, drawing Kamiko Murakami specifically Um, in the photograph that I saw of her from the Salt Spring Archive. Um, it's her in a kimono and she just looks so determined and ready to take on anything. And she just seems like such a really, such an interesting person. Um, and I'm trying to think of somebody else that really stuck. They all really stuck with me. It, it is really hard to pick, but, uh, yeah, it was so lovely to work with all of them. Yeah. How about you, Haley, if you had to choose? Um, yeah, I got asked this at a talk, um, this exact question, and I said, oh, I'm not sure about this, you know, like, for people who have more than one child, are you allowed to pick a favorite <laughs> child? And someone in the crowd said, yes, yes, you are. Um, so I answered it, and um, yeah, I for sure, same, you know, they were all incredible to read about and research. I really enjoyed um, learning about Edith Josie and, and just her story. I remember being a kid my mom listening to CBC and, um, you know, just hearing about her, um, her column, like, you know, they would talk about it on CBC and and that. Um, And then I actually ended up um, living and working in Old Crow for a really short amount of time when I first was a teacher and it was just a time in my life. um, Yeah, that just really still stands out and an absolutely um, special and, and gorgeous and amazing place with um, just incredible people. So Edith Josie was really special to me. And I also loved um, Minnie Patterson's story it was so exciting to me. So she um, did a sort of epic coastal hike uh, along part of what is now the West Coast Trail to save some uh, sailors who were shipwrecked out at sea in, in a huge um, storm. And she did this hike in a storm um, with her dog. Um, and yeah, her husband was a light keeper there. He had to stay at the light, so she went and ended up saving these sailors. So that story was really exciting as well, and to me, yeah. Um, and I'm I'm sure the two of you see in the news often books being banned or removed from libraries. It's hard to believe this is still a thing that we have to read about and go through in our communities. But what impact do you hope your book will have with readers? And Haley, if you want to start. I hope people are inspired um, by the books and the stories. I hope it encourages readers to like reach for their own dreams and hopes. And I hope, yeah, I hope it portrays history as really engaging and exciting and they're inspired to do, you know, whatever things, you know, make them happy and fulfilled. And even if it's not maybe conventional. um, Yeah. So, and I just, yeah. And I hope, uh, I hope it, you know, maybe give some hope or help some persevere through times that that are difficult. Maybe reading sometimes reading about other people doing it can be really inspiring and and helpful. Yeah. And Kamiko, I really hope it helps people see that we all can play a role in history, not just the people who traditionally are seen as the important ones. <laughs> yeah. Great. Those are all my questions for you. Is there anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to add? Not that I can think of. 
Yeah, not for me. I just think, yeah, like schools and, you know, classrooms and libraries. Um, this book just, yeah, I think is a great addition to any classroom and, uh, and library. That was Haley Healy and Kamiko Fraser. They are the author and illustrator of Her Courage Rises, 50 Trailblazing Women of British Columbia and the Yukon, which is a finalist for the 2023 Sheila A. Egoff Children's Literature Prize. If you would like to find out more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, visit our website at bcyukonbookprizes.com. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram, and Facebook. Next time on Writing the Coast, you'll hear my conversation with Kim Spencer. Kim is the author of Weird Rules to Follow, a finalist for the 2023 Sheila A. Egoff Children's Literature Prize. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast.